This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Well, Mr. Hamilton, the dog days of summer, it's uh, hot and sweaty, and uh, that must mean somebody's getting ready to go doe or stone sheep hunting. Somebody. Sheep hunting. Somebody. It's not me. It's not you. So who no. is it? No. I don't know. Uh, Obviously, not living. We, right, we so. suck. <laughs> yeah. It is nice outside, though. I'll give you that. It was kind of overcast yesterday, but it's starting to warm up, and it looks like the south winds are blowing in, according to my weather trees. That's what I call them because I can just kind of see them fluttering. So it ain't raining. So when do you leave for sheep? Yeah. You leave for sheep, don't you? You're, you are sheep hunting, but not the opener. In September. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it sort of mix it up from year to year. And, uh, so yeah, we're going to push it till, uh, September this year and do something a little different. Um, so the Jurassic classic is a week earlier this year. Um, so, uh, that conflicts with my two week sheep hunt. So we've, uh, so, so, you, so you usually move the Jurassic cause you just said it's a week earlier. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, so it's one of those things where there's, uh, you know, prioritize, right. Um, spend, spend the time putting sheep on the mountains instead of taking them that's off, right. I guess. That's, that's what we do, right? It's why we're here, right? Put one, take one, if you're lucky over your whole career. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. You're due, you're still less than one. So you get to, you get to go to that, uh, less than one club, uh, uh, social hour with hope and angst, and I don't. So oh, you, you still got the international, though, don't you? Yeah, I couldn't go last year, but uh, anyway, well, so. didn't one of didn't don't we know somebody that won the less than one a couple of years ago? Uh, I don't know who. Or did, no, I'm, thinking, I'm trying. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah you, no, Ryan Krog. Yeah, yeah. So one of our members, yeah. Ryan Krog, won it. And he went to uh, um, harvested a beautiful doll sheep. Yeah, he did yeah. did really well. He was actually our mountain mentorship event here in yeah. Kamloops. And, yeah, I uh, thought it was a member. So it was great to meet Ryan. But yeah, he was uh, less than one winner a couple of years back. So um, yeah, very cool that he won. Actually, it was it was the COVID year. Um, less than one, you have to be in the room to win. But because of COVID, um, they did an online drawing, mm. and you didn't have to be there. You just had to enter, and Ryan won it. It was hilarious. We're, um, we're sitting there watching it, and they, they called his name, and right away, we're like, Joe Humphreys is friends mm-hmm. with them, too. And uh, right away, we're on it. We're like, oh, my goodness. He's like, did I win? I'm like, oh, geez, dude, you're so lucky. Oh, I remember being there in 2020 with Joe. Joe and I were uh, – uh, we we were drinking some beers and we had to do a bathroom run just as they started. We're like, Oh God. And they, we could hear the names and you've been in the convention center, how far away that, uh, the, the draw stage is from the bathrooms. It's what 300 meters or something. It's a huge place. And we're just running, trying not to knock people over because you don't want to miss it. Cause you, you've, you've heard it, right? You hear people's names get drawn and they are not in the room. And imagine being, in the building and not being able to respond. That'd be even worse. So anyway, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. This year. It, it, it happens oh, yeah. every single year. I'm yep. pretty sure that happened to Jamie Arnett. I think Jamie's name oh. got pulled one time and I uh, had to be in the room to win. And uh, he was not. Oh so yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that happened to Jamie, yeah, but you can uh, hear it. Yeah, you can anyway. just hear the Kyle Stelter and silence. Cause if somebody's in the room, you hear the scream and it's just, you hear the room go, <gasps> <sighs> like oh is he here 
damn, it sucks he's not here, but Grady's not here because it gives me a chance to win because they'll keep drawing until somebody's in the room. And you hear four or five names sometimes per draw. It That's got to suck. So be there. Yeah, it does suck for sure. Um, okay, so a um, couple things. Uh, we have a uh, Facebook, social media, Instagram, likes and shares contest. Steve, talk about what that is. Tell us. Uh, about basically, it. we're trying to grow our pages. We have one campfire on Instagram and Facebook. We have talk is sheep on Instagram. And we have our main page, Wild Sheep Society of BC on Facebook and Instagram. And we, we got a pretty kick-ass contest uh, brought to you by some of our uh, conservation partners. So what you need to do is you need to like and follow our pages on Insta and Facebook. Uh, you need to tag three friends and share it. And you can get entered to win a kick-ass Yeti cooler. I think we're is it a 65 Tundra we're doing? And we're doing a Sitka jacket. I believe it's a dew point we're, we're giving away and some kick-ass wild sheep swag. And we'll cover the shipping. Provided you're in North America, we will cover the shipping to you. So it's pretty easy. You get to follow some cool pages and help spread the message of conservation. And yeah, these coolers are awesome. I got one a couple months ago. So yeah, pretty cool. Pretty easy. And for those, while you're at it, uh, this isn't included in the contest, but get over Jurassic Classic BC on Instagram and Jurassic Classic on uh, Facebook, and uh, let's help grow that page too. So we have our Jurassic Classic event, like I said earlier. Uh, it's the second week of August, and great fundraiser for wild sheep. And so, yeah, on Insta, get over and uh, give us some love on Jurassic Classic BC. And then also on the Facebook page. So I got to grow my brand too here, Steve. You can't just do all Steve's brands. So. <laughs> I helped create that page and logo to begin with. <laughs> That's been going on a while now. Uh, and a couple weeks left for the, at the, speaking of Jurassic, we still have a few tickets left on that Stone Glacier raffle. I think we're about 80% sold out. So uh, we are hoping to get that one sold out before the event. Um, so yeah, get over to our website, wildsheepsociety.com, click on raffles, and get yourself some uh, raffle tickets for that Stone Glacier package. So um, with that, this is a great chat, actually. I, I really enjoyed this. So a good friend of ours, Brent Acorn, um, he's been a life member of the Wild Sheep Society of BC. It's kind of featuring one of our, our members, really, but uh, Brent is a very accomplished hunter. He's hunted all over the world, as you'll hear. And uh, he was hunting doll sheep in the Yukon this past year with Coosa Wild Lake Outfitters, who, by the way, our wild sheep raffles. We just did a raffle uh, that wrapped up. We're drawing again at Jurassic. We sold that out months ago, but um, it's going to be a dull sheep hunt with Mac Watson, Acousa Wild Lake Outfitters. So Brent hunted with them, killed a hammer ram. It was the biggest uh, ram registered for the Yukon dull sheep this year, um, this past year. And uh, just a beautiful, beautiful ram. And um, there's been some awards over that one. So uh, anyway, we talk about Brent and he's got a really good message. Uh, you know, this is for anyone that's going on their first hunt or, or you know, wants to get out in the field and chase some rams. Uh, Brent's message here is really powerful, actually. I really enjoyed chatting with him about it. Oh, completely agree. Uh, you, you felt like he was there or like you were there in some of the stories he was telling. And yeah, we, we talk about everything from North American hunts to African hunts to uh, South American hunts. It's just, it, it's a good old fashioned hunting BS session that I think everybody will like. Yeah, for sure. So with that, uh, enjoy episode 84 with Brent Acorn. Across Canada and throughout the world, if you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop, 
or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive, pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. Well, good morning, sir. Welcome to uh, Talk of Sheep. Good to see you. Yeah, morning. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, um, good to catch up. Uh, I know, you know, we, last time I guess I seen you was Sheep Week down in Reno. Um, and, uh, you know, we talked lots about hunting then, talked lots, lots about the society conservation, but, uh, yeah, I just thought, you know, we'd be great to, to get together and catch up and see what's new in your world. So I guess, um, let's just start off about telling everybody, you know, I, I guess the main thing is, um, you're a Wild Sheep Society BC life member, um, been really involved with the society for a number of years. So let's just give us an overview, kind of who you are, what you do for a living, where you come from, that sort of stuff, so people get an idea who you're, who you are. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, um, I grew up on Vancouver Island and moved to the Lower Mainland when I was about 16. I spent a couple of years here, and then uh, I went to University of Alberta in Edmonton for five years. I was primarily there to drink beer and play football, and uh, I ended up leaving there with a Bachelor of Education. And uh, I didn't really know what, what I wanted to be. And I thought the fire service would be a good thing for myself. And I got on with the fire department shortly after there as a young as a young man. And I've been on the job in Delta for 18 years now. So it's uh, it's been a pretty rewarding career. And it's not for everyone, but it's definitely for me and flexible for, for hunting and stuff like that. So I, um, I did a little bit of substitute teaching on my days off for the last 12 years. Um, as a phys ed teacher. So just to supplement some hunting trips and stuff like that. So, but I'm retired from the teaching gig now. I'm getting too old for two jobs and I'm just doing the one job with the fire department. Awesome, man. So, okay. You got to fill me in. Why the heck is it that every, uh, like all these diehard sheep hunters are freaking firefighters? Is it because you guys have so much time <laughs> off? Is it the profession attracts uh, sheep hunters or sheep hunters attract firefighters? What's the story? Yeah, you know what? It, it's, uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of uh, A-type personality guys that want to get after it in the fire service, I think. And uh, and I think there's a lot of that with sheep hunting. You know, it, it, uh, it takes a, a little bit of courage to go out in the mountains and, and put your backpack on and be self-sufficient for, for two weeks and, and face the challenges and the ups and downs and the things that, that we do as sheep hunters and, and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's a correlation there to the fire service, right? Sometimes you have to put on your brave face and, and get after things. But, uh, yeah, I've met a lot of good friends at work and, and in the mountains. So I'm really fortunate to, to have good partners out there. Yeah. Awesome. I, I can honestly think of probably a dozen guys that I know mm-hmm. of that are work for the fire services that are part of the society. And I'm sure there's way more than that. Yeah. But, I uh, never even thought and, about it until and, now. <laughs> I can name at well, least half and, a dozen. And, yeah. Well, and they're freaking good hunters too, man. Like a lot, like all of them are accomplished in the mountains. Yeah, well, one of my buddies up here is a cat guy and a firefighter and a sheep hunter and a goat hunter and just hardcore. Yeah, yeah, we're just good at telling stories. We get a bit of downtime at the <laughs> fire hall uh, from time to time, and you guys just hear all the good stories, not the the empty trips and the the mistakes we make out there. But yeah, I, I the guys that I hunt with in the mountains are primarily all from work and other departments and stuff. So. Um, it, it, we do have a bit of a flexible work schedule, uh, at times, so it, it is good to get along, get away for these two week trips, right. Which is not realistic in some professions. So 
maybe that's our key to some of the success we have. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right on, man. Well, hey, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, did you grow up with hunting? Like, how did, you know, how'd you get into it? It Was it something through the for- force you got involved in it or how that um, You know, I grew up on the island and, and, of course, I went on some some deer hunts with my dad when I was a young kid. And I got so involved with sports that, you know, uh, with, with school sports and club sports and all that sort of thing, that I didn't have a lot of time uh, for hunting specifically growing up. Um, I didn't really start chewing off serious hunting till probably 2010, 2011, just because I was busy, like with the sports and school and everything and getting my career going. And then I was a young family man. And, uh, and then about 2010, 2011, uh, my friend Rob Weeks, who you guys know, uh, was always encouraging me to come moose hunting. And he's a firefighter too in Vancouver. And, and we would go on an annual trip and, and Rob was more into hunting than I was at that point. And so we'd go moose hunting up into region five and, and it was just a great trip. And, and I was able to do that financially and, and get time away to, to spend 10 days up in there. And, um, and we had a lot of fun doing that. And that's where it all started from was, was the moose hunting trips. And then, um, yeah, I didn't start, I was got a bit of a late start to get into hunting seriously, but, uh, but I haven't looked back ever since. Yeah. Awesome. And I, I, I remember, seen you at the at the convention for a number of years but when did you start coming to the society stuff i don't even what year yeah probably 2014 or 2015 might have been the first time uh that i attended a convention and and i really decided that i wanted to hunt sheep in around 2014 i said this is a goal that i want to try and and find a good stone ram and, and bring one home or at least get up into the mountains and and I did do backpacking as a kid. So a lot of the skills that, that we have in the mountains and, 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 you know, the challenges I face, I, I did know what I was getting myself into. Um, my first sheep hunt, I went with, with another life member named Greg Sawchuk. He's, he's a friend of the families and a friend of my dad's. They grew up together and, and he took me on my first sheep hunt. So, you know, he's, he's got a, you know, a grand slam and has, you know, taken lots of beautiful rams and lots of species all over the world. So I was really fortunate to go with Greg because he knows what he's doing. You know, I encourage first time sheep hunters to go with someone that they know what they're doing because you think, you know what you're doing. You think, you know how to judge a legal round, but you really, it's, it's a big learning curve. Yeah. Well said. And I guess, so for some of our listeners that are maybe new to the society or new to talk to sheep or sheep hunting, um, you know, for me, the show was pretty pivotal. Like when we went to my first, the first convention right away, you walk in and it's kind of, I always talk, to people it's almost like a family it's like people you just think the same you're kind of the same mentality and right away you kind of click it's a really inclusive place it's not i didn't find it intimidating at all i've gone to other shows before and i felt a little intimidated when i walk in but i never felt that way with the society um you know for you as a new guy walking into that room um did you know many people beforehand i guess you probably knew a few of the firefighters already yeah, i knew a few people but i like say everyone was 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 you know very welcoming and stuff and and i actually remember yourself coming up and introducing yourself Cal to, to me, you know, and, and I was just kind of a new, a newcomer there and didn't know a lot of people, but I just thought that like from your leadership standpoint at that point, I thought it was really classy and, and, you know, everyone kind of had the same attitude as yourself as far as like welcoming and regardless if you have, you know, a hundred sheep hunts under your belt and, and you're, you're an experienced guide outfitter or, or you haven't even been on a sheep hunt yet and you're just there that's the beauty of that weekend. You know, um, everyone's just there for, for kind of the same goals is to, to meet friends and common people with common interests and sheep hunters and, and 
you know, have a few beers and a nice meal and, and raise some money for the, the proper cause. Yeah, well said, man. And, you know, I think too, you know, for people that haven't been, it's such a great opportunity. You know, there's seminars and, uh, yeah, the seminars are good. You learn a lot. I've, I've, over the years, I've gone to a number of them and I always learn something no matter what, like, especially the horn aging, but there's a whole bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. um, from pack, backpacking, you know, taking care of your gear, all that sort of thing, long range shooting. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the biggest part for me is like that mentorship and, and talking to people and, and just, you know, lots of times you'll be talking and, you know, even swapping sp- stories about sheep hunting and getting ideas where to go. And, you know, very rarely guys marking an X on the, on the map. And if that's why you're going, you probably shouldn't go, but, um, but, you know, inevitably you get talking about things and you learn from people and you, you know, you new areas to go to. So that aspect of it's always been really rewarding for me too. It's always fun to hear of guys experiences and that sort of stuff and and like you said half of it's bullshit anyway because oh, yeah. right? it's hunting stories <laughs> absolutely yeah. yeah hunting and fishing yeah, stories. no we don't really always so. share the 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 toughest times in the mountains or, or the times when we, we made a mistake and had to come home earlier or whatever right but that's all part of the journey and and uh you know i encourage any young any young hunters you know male or female that when you, you know you always have this preconception of what the trip's going to be like you know I've, I've i've hunted abroad a little bit and uh i've hunted quite a bit in british columbia and uh you think this is the way it's going to go and this is how it happens and it never does it's it's always different than what you imagined and we, we dream before we go on these trips that this is how it's going to turn out and it never does so when you get out there as a young sheep hunter or, or you know someone that's you know hunting mountain goats or whatever in these these tougher areas of these extreme conditions just you know lows are low and they're real even for people that are experts at it and i'm not an expert by any means but just keep grinding out and try and be safe and and focus on that aspect of survival and and the sheep and the goats and and the so special special animals will they'll fall into place when the time's right yeah well said yeah that's that's sage advice man for sure um, okay, so you talked a little bit about hunting overseas, um, and uh, you know we talked a little bit about this. I, I see there's an African animal, animal on your wall behind you. What's that? What's this one here actually just came it? from Argentina. Actually, it's a black buck antelope. Okay. Yeah, and um, I went there in uh, a few years ago with a guy named Ken Pamplin. He owns uh, Black Powder Tannery, and, and he was, uh, I think, vice president possibly or on the board with SCI at the time, and they were doing a an SCI promo hunt, this outfitter down there, and I'd never been anywhere outside of British Columbia for hunting and he, he invited me to go. It was, and, uh, I said, well, yeah, this is sure. Why not? Right. It fit my budget. And, um, we went down there and, uh, we hunted, uh, red stag and, and black buck and, uh, uh, Ken took a water Buffalo too, I believe. So it was a really eye opener thing for me to go to a hunting lodge where people are cooking for you and, you know, you're sleeping in a bed every night. It was, it was, you know, luxurious and and it, and it was great it, you know it's different types of hunting this one of the things i respect about the sport we do is that you can drive out to chilliwack and hunt you know black deer or bears for the day uh you can set up a wall tent and take your whole family hunting or, or you can get on a jet boat and go 200 you know kilometers down the kachika you know where it's more extreme and, and and you know less comfortable or you can go to africa you can do all these things to any level which is the beauty of our sport. You, you don't have to be the sheep hunter. You, you, you can you can be the guy that goes out and, and hunts black bears in the valley here an hour from your house. So, you know, people need to understand that, that you don't have to do these extreme hunts right off the bat or it's just about getting out with people that, uh, that, that 
share the same interest in your family and, and enjoying the outdoors in British Columbia because even though some opportunities have been taken away from us, we, st- we still live in one of the best spots in the world, I think. So, but it was back to my point, it was eye opening to go to a, a guided hunt and, and with a lodge and have, you know, being catered to, but it was, ex- it was excellent. Right on. So you, you had that harvest. Did you get a red stag as well? Or how I did, did yeah, I got, a, I got a red stag maybe on the third or fourth day. I mean, there was a lot of game there. It was, uh, it was still challenging. But it was very different than, say, going to the Kootenays here and hunting elk, where if you see one and it doesn't work out, that might be it for the whole season. You know, we were seeing animals every day. Um, and then that was just like unbelievable for myself to to experience that and, and just to see that that density of animals, right? It wasn't a high fence thing, but man, there was it was it was pretty good. And to get a quality one wasn't easy, right? Those animals were still smart. They'd been hunted for sure. And and uh the guy that I was with didn't speak English, so we were good at hand signals and stuff like that. And it was it was quite quite funny. By the end of the first day, we got a, a way to communicate, and yeah, it was just a great trip. Uh, it was um, yeah, definitely eye opening for my first hunt away from BC in Canada. Were you down there during the roar? Or did you experience that at all? Because I, I, I that must be yeah, we were we were right at the end of it, and um, yeah, you would hear them like you know, roaring in the middle of the night in the morning and get up. And it was just a different, a different sound than I've ever heard. It was really nothing like an elk. Right. And, um, yeah, it was really neat, really neat to see them. And, uh, there was, we saw some beautiful big red stags and, and some fallow deer and axis deer and, and all these species that I, you know, I'd never seen before, of course. So that was uh, a great experience. So when you guys were hunting red stag, for example, was it spot and stock? Is that how you hunted them or what kind of? It was. And I think because it was near the end of the roar, we, we didn't call. And, and I'm not sure if they do that down there. I think they do. But um, but yeah, it was spot and stock. And uh, we spotted the stag that we actually harvested the day before. And of course, is in a group and bunched up and 300 yards away. And it was thick down there. There was a lot of uh, almost like our willows, but taller. So um yeah, it was challenging. It would be great if you were an archery guy because there's lots of cover. Um, mm. Versus when I went to Africa, there was no cover in the one area we were in, and it was like the desert, so it was much different. But uh, yeah, they were they were active, and it was it was an exciting hunt. And of course, we had a few whiskeys and beers afterwards, and everyone was happy. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, okay, let's segue a little bit to Africa. Let's talk about that. When was that and what did that uh, entail and uh, who'd you go with? Let's talk about that. Well, I went with a firefighter that I worked with named Brian and uh, we, we had bid on this SCI hunt uh, on an online auction maybe three years ago. And uh, it was just something that I never really envisioned I was going to do. And I was just looking at the auctions and, and a really, to be honest, great deal came up that, that no one really bid on. And I couldn't really believe it was still there. And I thought, Hey, this is for, you know, a good cause too, right? It's not all about just getting the deal, but everyone's got their bottom line. So I put a bid in with a minute left and we got it. And it was for two hunters to go hunt in South Africa for 10 days. Basically, um, we had a trophy credit each, which, you know, gave us four or five animals. It was really generous plus the room and board. So we tried to go, of course, probably four, three or four times it got canceled from COVID. And uh, we ended up being able to go in October, right kind of before that wave came in December. So a little bit of logistics with getting tested and this and that and the unknown, but we went for it. The outfitter was great too. 
um, extend our dates, right, by over a year and a half. Um, Chris Kaywood there from Southern Cross Safaris, and he was awesome. He's a friend, and um, we ended up going there for 10 days, and we harvested 11 animals. And, uh, I mean, it was it was like I said before, you think this is how it's going to go. Well, I got there. It was completely different, right? Um, we hunted two different concessions, and uh, it was beautiful terrain, and, and the animals were very smart, <laughs> and there wasn't a lot of cover. So we ended up taking some really long-range shots, which – isn't really my thing, but, uh, I gained a lot of confidence when I was down there. So, um, it was great. Very cool. So, you know, was on a safari, you know, a good friend of ours. So one of our board members, Greg Rensmeg was just over there as well. And, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, there's a hunting aspect. A lot of it's the sightseeing and seeing the other animals. A lot of them that you're not even hunting, right. You know, whatever that may be. Uh, was there a lot of that? Did you guys do much of the sightseeing or are you just a lot of bycatch too? Like you run into stuff that maybe you weren't, wasn't on the menu yeah, at like the time? You'd, you'd like hike over a hill and you'd see like 50 zebra or wildebeest go by. It was like, it was like, you're like in Jurassic park or something, right? It, the, the amount of, the amount of game there and the density is, is unbelievable. They, they do such a great job of their management strategies down there and, and plans and stuff that, um, you know, and, and the pH that I was with Chris, we, you know, we, we, we would see animals. And of course, for the first few, three or four days, I have no idea the quality of these trophies. Right. If you want to call them that, I, w- I was like, that looks great. Let's, that looks unbelievable. And he's like, trust me, you don't want that. Like that's an average representation. And I'm going, Oh, I don't know. It looks great. But by the, the end of the trip, you, you could start spotting, you know, the mature ones and the ones that are, that are special or unique or whatever, right. Whatever you're after. But he was big on, on the you know the oldest ones and and the best representations and right down to the last day you know we were looking for a, a niala and was kind of my number one thing down there and um we probably passed on two or three in the morning and i looked at him like really those looked really good and he's just like just trust me on this and and by that afternoon we had a beautiful old niala like a really good one and, and um he looked at me and kind of chuckled and said well i my gamble paid off. He goes, those other ones were pretty good. And I was getting nervous, but you know, that, that's hunting and that's hunter's luck. Right. And, and sometimes things work out. So everything that we harvested down there was, was really high, you know, not that scores and points make a successful hunt, but that's their mandate down there is, is the best quality animals. Uh, and, and it was really neat to come back with good ones because when your friends come over and not that's what's all about, they don't have a clue. If you've never seen a springbok before, they all look really good. And, but it's neat that I know now that we got, uh, you know, quality ones because he, they could take your money and just say, shoot that. Right. But uh, he was really honest and he took a lot of pride in his selection. So that, that was neat. Yeah. I've heard that many times from people that go overseas to hunt that uh, they, they, they essentially get buck fever because they don't know any better. It's, oh, that's a good one. I won't, let me shoot that. And the guy's like, of no, simmer down, simmer down. And yep. what they come home with is double the size. And it's like, holy crap. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing that really surprised me down there was how tough these animals were. They, I found them much tougher than our animals, I guess, maybe due to the thickness of their their hide and their their skin and their, their structure. But I mean, these were animals like, uh, you know, a Gemsbok is, you know, not even nearly the size of one of our North American Rocky Mountain elk or whatever. I mean, they're he's absorbing 300 wind mag shots like nothing and, and 375 H&H with, with reasonably good vital shot placements. I could not believe how tough these wow. animals were. Yeah. So 
uh, not that I'm a marksman, but we weren't taking irresponsible shots, right? Um, we had to take shots out to 400 yards, though, which was not something I do here very often, you know, especially we can always feel that we can get a bit closer, but there you couldn't. They were smart and there was no cover. And, uh, you know, that was something that I was totally thought was going to be different and it wasn't. So that was, that was neat. The second part of the hunt, we hunted in a different concession where it was thick, more jungle-like. It was on the East coast of where we, where we got the bush buck and the Neal and in the imbalance, stuff like that. So that was much different. That was more of like that jungle atmosphere. Um, so that was a little bit, I guess, easier to spot and stalk. That's awesome. So do you see yourself going back? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, uh, there's no better value than that. Like, especially if you're on like a bit of a blue collar budget, there's literally, not that I'm an expert with hunting abroad, but I mean, you can go there and, and, and enjoy yourself and, and, uh, you know, be treated very well and, uh, and, and get your animals for, for pretty reasonable, you know, costs and stuff like that. So, and the, the country's beautiful too. You got to be careful there. It, it, I found it to be a very dangerous country. You know, I haven't traveled a whole lot, so you got to probably go with the right people and be very aware when you're traveling between concessions, like both the husband and wife that I was with showing, you know, the PHs, they had handguns on them all the time. So that's not really something you see around in most places you go, but I didn't feel unsafe. I was just aware of the dangers of if your car breaks down in the middle of the night on some of these highways, you could get into some serious trouble if you weren't with the right person or or you didn't Mm -hmm. have help. So heard that as well where you're driving mm-hmm. down the highway and they say uh there's there's like a burn barrel in the middle of the highway they say just keep going don't even stop they're exactly. fine <laughs> exactly yeah you have to be you know really on your toes i know that the the ph that i was with he he had to buy his daughter her first car and and, and we were talking about well, like i have to do that too soon or i'll help my daughter out and you know we won't be buying a brand new fifty thousand dollar car for my daughter, I'm sure. And he said, I had to buy a brand new car for my daughter because I, I could not never risk her breaking down, you know, traveling between her boarding school and their, in their house. Cause it's a two or three hour drive. And he just said, that's not an option. Like if your car breaks down by your, by yourself, you're in trouble there. So it is sad that that's, that that's the way it is mm-hmm. in other countries, but you know, we're lucky here that we're much safer, but, uh, that was eye opening for me too. So, um, yeah, Africa is a great place. I'd go back whenever I can. Awesome. So now um, you talk a little bit about the safety with the traveling. How about in the field? Did you ever find like any close encounters with animals or any of it were like, holy shit, we're in trouble here or not? Um, I was always aware of what was going on. And, and of course, Chris that was taking us around the pH, he's, you know, been outfitting there for 30 years and, and he's, you know, he's guided, you know, all the, the big dangerous games there, the cats and the hippos and, and all the real dangerous ones. I, I was very aware of the snakes and spiders there. We saw some, you know, Cape Cobras and stuff like that. I didn't feel very comfortable with that. I saw a pretty big spider in the wall tent we were staying in in the second concession. I didn't like that either. Those aren't animals that I'm <laughs> very uh, comfortable around. But as far as when you're out in the field, you know, these some of these, uh, these antelope are aggressive too, like the black bucks or the story, the bush bucks aggressive. And he said like, you know, if we wound this thing, it's going to come at us, stuff like that too, right? These animals are, they're, they're aggressive down there, even, even the planes game. And, um, so yeah, we, we didn't get close to like hippos and crocodiles or anything like that where we were, but, but we did see them. Um, but, uh, you know, you're a little bit more comfortable when you have a, 
rifle in your hand versus in your tent and there's a spider there or a snake he talked about the snakes in their house where they went like cape cobras in their house and stuff like wrapped up in the drapes so maybe he was just BSing me but uh yeah i was more aware of the snakes and spiders than i was of the other uh animals down there yeah yeah that would that would get my attention too. you just out of your comfort zone with that sort of thing right like yeah yeah for sure um okay so one more international hunt and then we're going to uh segue to sheep but uh when we were down in reno you were talking about you're trying to book a hunt to europe i think for um i can't even remember what it was uh, is that still a go or what do you got on the plan it is yeah so I, I, I talked about my friend greg sawchuk there um he invited me to go on a hunt to spain in december he had won a i think a raffle at wild sheep for for a hunt to go to go after mouflon sheep and uh you know he, he phoned me up and he said what do you think about hunting mouflon sheep one day and i said well of course who wouldn't and i kind of thought nothing of it and he, and he phoned me about a month later and said you know listen i'd like you to come with me um it's like a about a five or six day hunt uh for mouflon sheep and i said great this is this is an unbelievable opportunity so so i agreed to that and then of course while you're over there i mean you have to consider you know going after one of the four ibex too so i spoke with the outfitters when i was in reno and uh and we got a, a bit of a plan to hunt the ibex too because i'll probably go there once in my life you know so i'm thinking um the mouflon sheep would be really cool and but i have a special spot in my heart for those for those ibex and I think it'll be another really enjoyable hunt, you know, challenging too, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, we stay in a lodge every night. So it's another one of these, these hunts that I'm not really used to, but really looking forward to that. I think it's December 10th to the 20th. Um, so yeah, I just, I keep on kind of falling into these invitations or these, these really good deals for these international hunts. My buddy, buddies at the fire hall, they're always giving me the gears about, they think I made a millions or something doing these hunts abroad, but it's like, say, <laughs> if you, you can find the good deals and, and you, you can make these dreams become reality, you know? And, um, so yeah, I just keep your eyes open for the opportunity. So, so yeah, Spain's a go in December. It's kind of crazy that I'm doing that, but it's going to be pretty neat to go with Greg too. Cause I've known him my whole life and, and he's been around the block, obviously hunted all over the world. So it's neat to go with a guy, you know, that's, he's been to Spain before once and, he's excited to bring me along and, and show me where he's been and stuff like that. So that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Man. Yeah. You talk about these deals. Uh, one of, uh, one of our buddies, Mark Gassati, he's, uh, he just cruises online hunting auctions and he's always picking stuff mm-hmm. up. And, uh, you know, there are some pretty good deals if you're, you know, if you watch for it and you're pretty diligent and you kind of know what you're, you got to be careful what you're looking for, but for sure. uh, he's always picking stuff up at a deal. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, every, pretty cool opportunity. Everyone wants a deal no matter how much money you have, but it's neat to be able to, and you know, you're, you're, you're buying these, these auctions too, that's going to a good cause of course. Right. So what we all believe in and absolutely. And, uh, so, you know, even if you don't get the best deal in the world, but you're still getting a bit, bit of a price deal, you're, the money's still going to, uh, to, you know, conservation and, and supporting other economies too. And these outfitters, they've had some tough years, I'm sure with COVID. So it's great to be able to go and, and support their economy too. just help, you know, hunters come to BC and help our, our outfitters put food on the table. 
Yeah, well said. Uh, when you were in Africa, and like you said, it was in October. It was you know just just over six months ago. What, what was it like there with, with COVID and stuff? Were they really hurting over there? Like I, I know you don't see much of it because you're with the outfitter, but what what was it like? Yeah, like I, I was a little bit shocked. Like we did spend a night or two in Port Elizabeth, just on the way out of town after we were done, um, and people were wearing masks like on the street by themselves, walking you know down the boardwalk of the strip there, and uh, they had their masks on. So, um, they were pretty diligent at that time. That was October and, and here nobody was wearing masks, you know, outside at that point. So, you know, they, they do have trouble there with their healthcare, which what I was told. Right. And so, you know, getting vaccines and getting proper healthcare is, is probably not as fortunate as we are here, even though we have our struggles too, of course, with our systems. But so I think the individual down there was a little more um cautious about covid than maybe we were here and i don't want to take anything away from from canadians and and how we dealt with it but i think if you got covid down there there's no guarantee you're getting treatment so um as far as the individual down there i I found that they they were they did take it very seriously um but i didn't see like you know restaurants and shops and stuff closed down where we were so, um, I know that the, obviously that the hunting outfits, you know, they didn't have clients for, I think it was over a year or two. So they obviously took a hit there, which is a huge economic, you know, uh, factor for that country. I think it's probably, you know, right up there in the top, um, you know, money makers for, for that country, for South Africa anyway. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, uh, cool. So one last thing, what, uh, what type of Ibex are you going for? Which of the four are you going to go after? Well, I, I really like, you know, uh, the Bassetti, I think it's called, and, and the Grados. And and Greg already has a Grados, and he's got a pretty good one. So the outfitter said, you guys can split up, and, and you can hunt either one you want. Um, there's the other two, too. They're obviously beautiful, but I, they're not as big. So if I'm going to get one in my life, I kind of want the one with the, the, you know, biggest horns, I guess. And uh, they're big. They're, they're big on age, too. So he says don't worry about the size of the horns. They're all nice. We'll go for age, which I thought that was really cool. The pretty outfitter to say that, but um, we're going to go for the Bissetti because Greg doesn't have one and I can hunt with him. We can hunt two on one. We were nice. given an option and I'm like, I'd rather be right beside him and, and you know, have that camaraderie and, and, uh, and then he can get his second one and not have to get one of the same. And, and uh, they're both beautiful. So hopefully that uh, works out and we, we find some nice old, um, I guess they're billies and there's a gameskeeper that comes with you and, and he has the final say he's from the government and he has the final say on which one you can harvest. So, uh, it's probably another testament to how well they've managed them there. Cause they said, uh, if all goes well, we, we should make out pretty good. So a little bit different than, than hunting here. Right. Like, I mean, who knows what's going to happen here because probably the density is much more greater over there. So for animals. Okay, man. Uh, let's segue now to uh, North America. So you started going to sheep, the sheep show in 2014. Um, let's talk about your first hunt. When's the first time you went in the mountains for to chase a sheep? What was that like? Um, yeah, we went. Uh, it was Greg, myself, and another guy from work, and we 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 flew out of Dee's Lake. Um, and uh, it's, it's a great area to hunt sheep for, especially for your first go. I think. And, uh, we landed there and, uh, we, we hiked a couple of days off the lake and, uh, you know, we saw some sheep. Um, we ended up harvesting a couple of goats on the way out. 
our hike back. We spent probably 10 days. It was late August, I think. It was getting dark at like eight o'clock at night. I remember that. So it wasn't like a true early season one. And uh, we, we didn't see any legal rams. Um, uh, we did bump into the outfitter in there and uh, they didn't have a client at the time. I remember seeing what we think is a 65 inch moose, but it was probably 20 kilometers from the lake. So that was pretty special to see something of that caliber because it was, I mean, I haven't seen anything since, of course, but uh, yeah, it was a great trip. Um, we came out with some, with some goat meat and some, and some billies and, um, and, uh, you know, I saw my first stone sheep, of course. And, uh, it's kind of obviously like most guys that stick with it, you either like it or you don't. And I was, I was hooked and, and, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty, pretty special trip to be able to go away with some good guys and see sheep and, and come out with, with some success too. Right. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. So that was your first fly in and then what, uh, well, let's talk about, have you, I don't even know what you did. You've killed for sheep. I know what you did this last year, but aside from that, what? Yeah. So my sex, so I got really lucky on my second stone sheep hunt. I went with my friend Rob and we went in a river boat and, uh, I probably won't tell you guys where we went. <laughs> uh, I get in too much trouble, but anyways, we went in the, in the, in the river boat on my second, my second hunt for opener. And, um, August 1st, we, we got on, uh, we got on some rams and, um, and by, by dinner time that night after, you know, the good 12 hour chase and stock and I was holding, you know, my first stone sheep. So I was really lucky to get that done. And, and Rob was there the whole way he had, he had harvested a ram at that point too. So he said like, this is all you. So when, when we see that legal ram, uh, you're going to be the guy. So I'm really lucky to hunt with my friend Rob Weeks and Dean Gancher and, you know, these guys, Aaron Perota, they're, they're all selfless guys. Like if you don't have one, you're the next guy in line. And and there's about a group of four or five of us, excluding Aaron, because he's been hunting for much longer than us, that if we go in our group of four or five guys or four guys and whoever doesn't have one, you're up. And and over the last, say, six years, we've, we've really been able to fulfill each other's kind of stone sheep dreams to, we all have stone sheep rams now. So that's pretty uh, special to be there with, with guys, you know, I got my first and then, you know, another uh, guy named Chris, I was there when, when he got his and the four of us were there and it's really special, right. You know, to see that because, you know, I think it took Chris five tries type of thing. And that's still relatively pretty short when it comes to getting around, but, but it's still like, you know, there's still in, and one thing I've learned about hunting sheep since, since I got mine is that I rel- I'm much more relaxed now when I go after getting that first one, I enjoy the experience more that those first trip and even this first part of the second trip, I put too much pressure on myself to get one. So my, my advice for any young sheep hunters is enjoy the journey, enjoy the moment, because if you're doing the right things and you're working hard and you're with the right people, it, it, it'll eventually come true. You know, our thing is, is to get everyone to get their first nice legal ram and then within my group of hunting is is to hold out now for for something really special. You know, I, I don't need multiple rams of the same caliber on the wall. You know, so the next one that I that I take, if that opportunity comes, I want it to be really special as far as a stone sheep. And um, you know that that's that's how we operate. I know Rob, his second ram that he took was eleven years old, right? So he waited four more years to get his second one, and it's a special one, right? Um, you know, success always isn't measured by inches of horn. Um, and I don't really judge other people for their choices, but in our group, we, we get one Ram and then we hold out for, 
for something really special for the next one. So that that's our mentality. Yeah, and I think we, we kind of have to be like that, right? You know, if everybody's going out and knocking over a six-year-old ram every year, maybe it's legal, maybe he's past the nose. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you can't have 2,500 sheep hunters kill a, a ram every year. It just, it's not going to work. Yeah. And, and there's lots of people like yourself that do exactly that, that they're like, okay, now I'm going to be fussy. And, or, or, you know, help your buddy or whatever. And and that's part of, I think, what makes sheep hunting special is we do a lot of that. When you go white tail hunting, you, you, you know, most guys are like, yeah, we're going to knock one over and we're going to bring some meat back. And we're, you know, that's kind of the mentality. But sheep hunters don't, you know, it's not about filling your freezer. It's not, it's, it's about that camaraderie. It's about holding out, you know, there's a whole bunch of reasons um, to, to do that. So I think it's a pretty cool thing that makes sheep hunters a little bit different than your average. Yeah. Guy. And you know, it's like just about being responsible and, and, and I get it. You travel a long ways, you spend a lot of money, you know, you grind it out and you get up there and, and you know, we've had to look at sheep for a long time to make that decision, whether, whether we're not going to pursue it. I, I don't like it when people say I passed on a ram. I, don't, I think we, I don't, it doesn't give sheep enough respect to say, well, I just passed on it. Like you would have been able to just walk up and grab it. You know, even at 150 yards, anything can happen. So I never say I passed on a ram. I've seen other legal rams that are the same caliber as the one I have. And we chose not to pursue it because everyone in the group had one similar, right? And then, for instance, like you see that one that's 11 years old. Okay, let's let's go make a play on it. So, um, you know, and, and people say, well, that's a dink ram too. Or uh, sometimes we can be pretty critical of, about each other, you know, especially on social media. Um, I don't ever like to call a legal ram a dink ram. You know, they're all special because how hard they are to be earned. And, and of course, we want to we want to shoot the mature ones, right? And the eight or nine year old ones or, or older. But I just feel that like we don't need to be attacking each other on social media for people's decisions, especially when you weren't there or you don't know them. Um, we got enough problems with the antis and 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 even good people that are just ignorant to the fact of what we do, um, attacking what we do. So I always try and be non-judgmental of other people in their decision-making in the mountains, but, but we're advocates for taking, you know, the oldest, the oldest rams we can find. And, and I got one on my wall. I'm proud of it. And, and hopefully one day I'll get the opportunity to get one really special, right? That's, that's how we mm-hmm. operate in my hunting group. Yeah. We got to do what's best for the overall health of the herd and the sheep themselves versus what's we think is best for ourselves. Right. So exactly. yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. It's uh, and, it, and like I say, it takes a lot of discipline. You get up there, you get excited. We all know what it's like to see sheep, let alone see one that's legal. They, I mean, the excitement's unbelievable when you see it in the spotter because, because, you know, those opportunities don't come around lots, you know, on a trip or in your, your sheep hunting career. So, um, yeah, I just, just hope everyone can, can do their little part and then we'll continue to have these opportunities in British Columbia because we, we've all seen for whatever reason, whether it was science-based or not, that's another day as far as our, our opportunities in Region 4 now for bighorns, right? I mean, it's gone for a GOS mm-hmm. for the most part. It will and for it is. So um, it's an eye-opener, right? I took, I took things for granted mm-hmm. as a young hunter in this province. So I'm not so naive now anymore. And I, I probably take things, you know, more serious than I did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Brent. Well, and that's, that's the thing too. And, you know, for somebody that's going on their first trip or, you know, maybe, you know, feeling that pressure about the hunt, 
Um, you know, it, the, the key takeaway there is just being in the mountains and the experience of, of stone sheep hunting or sheep hunting or whatever hunting period, but stone sheep is really special. That whole experience, it's about the experience, right? And, and when you see that first grizzly bear or when you see that first stone sheep on that ridge, it's, it's just a, it's just a different experience. Like, and you know, the measure of success for me and, and yeah, I've been lucky enough to been on a, a few hunts where we've, we've harvested rams, but it, it, for me, the true measure of success is just seeing a sheep. Like well, I, I come back and I, I dream about for that for the rest of the year. Yeah. I want to get one. Yeah. I'd love to, to go and get a f- massive old Ram, but yeah, just the experience of being in those mountains is incredible. Yeah. All that high country is like 99% of the population probably doesn't do what we do. And, and I'm sure if they could experience it, they would, they would see why we do it and, and just being self-sufficient in the mountains and the challenges and, and the lows are low. Like, the lows are low, like, you know, and, and, and that's why it's so special and because the highs are so high and, um, yeah, it's, I mean, there's, there's a ram I think about all the time that, that, that was on another mountain range and, and from 800 yards away, I could tell it was probably this most special stone sheep I've ever seen. And, and we never did see that ram again, but I think about him all the time, you know, what happened to him, you know, where is he? Is he on someone's wall? You know, uh, you know, it was probably four or five years ago. So there's little things like that that go through your mind and they, and they keep the, the, you know, the drive alive in you just, just to go up and, and, you know, do the sacrifices that it takes to get up into sheep country. But, but there's nothing like when you get those nice weather days, when you're on a ridge with, with your best pal and, uh, you know, you're, you're looking through the optics and just hoping that that rock stands up type of thing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, you, you said it like the lows are low, man. Like sheep hunting is, it, it, you know, there's times where you're like, what the F am I doing? Mm-hmm. Like you're just, you're done, right? You just, and, and that's one of the things for me personally is, is just, uh, you know, pushing myself personally and just, you know, even just getting there and getting off the mountain, like not even being successful. There's been so many times where I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm done. I'm absolutely done. Mm-hmm. And you just, but you find it, you find, you, you, yeah, you discover yourself in so many different ways. And I'll tell you, 14 days in the mountains, reflecting on what's going on back at home, yeah. it, it puts a lot of shit in perspective too, right? Absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, for me, it's a total reset. It's like it's, I, I can't imagine. Yeah, it, absolutely. and that's why it's so important to go with with you know people you can really rely on. And I'm really fortunate. My one friend Dean, he we've hunted. I've hunted with him more than anyone I have in the mountains. And and, and he's the guy that when he sees that you know that I'm a little bit a little bit slow that day, or you know I'm getting older, my my back's sore, my muscles are sore. He's the guy that that just says, "Don't worry, you know we'll rally through this." Or we get caught in a you know a snowstorm in August, which we have when you're just going like, this is unbelievable. Like, how is this even possible? You know, he's the guy that you spend the hours in the tent with and you laugh and joke about things. And, and that's what it's all about. You know, it's, it's not about the sheep on the wall. We all want that, of course, right. That's our goal. But, but really, as you look back and reflect, yeah, I don't remember. I, re- I remember the, the tough times and rallying through and, and, you know, driving up North and, you know, all these, all the, all the little things, the, you know, navigating the rivers in the in the boat you know some of the times i've been a little bit nervous in the float plane you know going trying to navigate the fog and those are the things you think about right the adventure because it's 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 probably instilled in us somewhere and that the hunter and gatherer in us there's got to be something in me that drives me back to that that whole north country and, and self-sufficiency and and really like pulling that steak out of the freezer with pride and saying you know i earned this 
right? Or, or having that whiskey with your pal and he comes over and sees your ram and you can see that he's dreaming about getting his own ram or, you know, young sheep hunter. And, and you tell him about the story and he's, his eyes just lighting up and you, and you know that that's, that's something that he's going to do. You can just see the drive in his eyes. That's what it's all about for me anyway. You know, it's, it's, but uh, I just hope more and more of our youth get involved with, you know, Wild Sheep BC, Wild Sheep Foundation and all the other good, you know, groups and get involved and learn and, and, and get after it because life's short. Awesome, buddy. Yeah. Sage, sage words of advice there. I like it. Um, okay. Let's talk about dull sheep. So you got your stone sheep. Uh, and uh, so this year we were down in Reno and uh, I had the good uh, privilege of having you sit at my table. And then next thing I know you're being called up for some award and that <laughs> sort of stuff. So, um, and I know you're not the guy that's like, oh, my only thing is I want, I only want the big ram and whatever. Like, yeah, we all want to shoot a, a big old ram, but uh I know you're not the guy that wants to go and collect awards and that sort of stuff. So um, I know that – let's talk a little bit about your doll sheep hunt and what's involved with that. Give us the whole story, right, from the soup to nuts. Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, my friend Aaron Proto, you know, encouraged me to to hunt doll sheep, right? And he, he was heading up north for this this hunt with with Mac Watson, Mac and Leona Watson. They own Kusawa Lake Outfitters in North Curl. And, of course, there was no Americans coming this year. So it gave some opportunity for Canadians to go, right? And um, I did get a little bit reality set in on the Tatch and Cheney draw. For me, getting a dull sheep is getting tougher and tougher. And I thought, well, the odds say that it's going to take me maybe 20 years or more to get this, right? And you could get it the first try, I get it. But I figured if I'm going to do this, I better do this now, right? You only live once. So I was able to to go fly to the Yukon. We flew out of uh, YVR. Aaron was there the week before me. He got his, his Fanaz Ram, which was really cool. Giving me updates on the inReach, which, you know, I was excited. I knew I was coming the next week. So I, I arrived on about August 4th with my other friend, Ken Pamplin, who also booked a hunt at the same time. He's the guy that I went to Argentina with. Uh, we, we booked these doll sheep hunts. And, and at the time I didn't know whether I was going in on backpack, horseback, um, you know, I, I didn't know what was going on. Mac just said, get on up here. I was going to go later in the month, but he says, I have an opening now. So get on up here and, and let's get after it. So we flew out of YVR to Whitehorse, spent one night in a hotel. Next day I was at uh, Mac and Leona's house. You know, it's, it was like the wild west there, horse trailers, wranglers, guides, you know, everyone's excited. There's clients there. And, uh, you know, I'd never been on a guided sheep hunt. Um, I met my, my guide, Josh who's now a lifelong friend. And, uh, he just said, let's go into the food shack, went in there. We, we made our 10 days of food. And within a couple hours, uh, Ken was going one way with, uh, in a pickup to go on his adventure. And I was headed to, uh, you know, the float plane base and we, we flew out of white horse there. And I think it was a two Oh six. And, uh, we landed on a lake, uh, about a hundred kilometers away. And, uh, it was real at that point. Um, you know, it was, it was, I was excited. We, you know, we on the way in, you, you could see what appeared to be dull sheep in the mountains. You know, they stand out quite a bit different than stones. So that it was really neat to just see sheep and be in the Yukon. I'd never been there before. And, you know, I was nervous, right? There's a lot on the line, but I, but Josh just kept saying, we'll get this done. Just, you know, you never give up on me. We will get this done. He's a determined guide and a great man. So, so yeah, we landed at the lake and, and uh, we we headed off on probably the next t- ten toughest days uh, that's that I've ever uh, experienced. 
very different than what I thought. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we, we had, we had trouble with weather. It was our big problem with, it was wind and, and rain and all that sort of thing. And the wind was so bad that when we did eventually get on the Bandarams, uh, that was, that had the one in it, we couldn't even age it in the spotter because it was blowing so hard, you know, with high end optics, high end tripods. I was holding the tripod. Josh was looking through the spotter at 200 yards away. We couldn't get an age on this ram. The wind was just absolutely unbelievable there for, for probably seven out of the 10 days. Right. And, uh, you know, it was standard mountain weather, but, but the wind was something different that I've never experienced in British Columbia before. And I've talked to some people that were up there at the same time and they said, yeah, that was an anomaly for wind. Um, so on day two, we ended up seeing a, a band of rams, um, and it had two really nice sheep in it, three legal rams. And, um, and they wheeled through the valley before we could get an age on them. And, uh, it took us probably another seven days to catch up with that band of rams again. You know, uh, we did the 36 hours in the tent, the fog, the rain, all that sort of thing. We, we put on some serious miles every day, which makes it all sweeter in the end. Um, and I think it was on day, day nine. So we had one day left. Uh, we located these rams in another whole mountain range, uh, across a big valley, uh, just before dusk. And Josh looked at me and said, can you do the death hike tomorrow? We'll start at 4 a.m., pack up our camp and, and go after these. And I just said, you bet. And, you know, throughout the whole hunt, he just said, these rams are here. We'll find them again. Like one step at a time. We never give up. They'll make one mistake. And he was right. You know, we, we got up at 4 a.m. on that last, uh, that last morning. And we put on like, you know, a good 10-hour hike with camp on our back. And, uh, you know, I think it was about uh, 6.02 p.m., when I sent out the text message ram down and at this point, you know, we, we watched these rounds for maybe 40 minutes to be, you know, sure we're taking the oldest one. And, um, you know, I, I knew it was special, but I didn't really know how special it was. You know, uh, I went up there just hoping to get any nice mature legal ram, you know, because they're all beautiful. But, uh, I think it was, we spent the night on the mountain that night with it, got up the next morning, we hiked another day back towards the plane. And uh, that's when Josh kind of looked at me and said, like, how long do you think this ram is? And he's a little bit deceiving. He only comes up to the eye, you know, so, uh, but he's 39 inches. <laughs> he's a big, he's a big looper wow. and he, he carries his mass all the way through. So I was just in disbelief when, when he, you know, he told me how, how long this was. And in these measurements, I just, I was something that I couldn't even believe happened. Right. Um, so, uh, for that to happen, like, I was just short of tears at that point, you know, how it all turned out because it was a grind, you know, we're putting on 25 kilometers a day and stuff for, for 10, you know, not every day. Cause we're in the tent for those days, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was pretty special to get a sheep, let alone one that's, that's, you know, scores that well, I guess. And, and we all know that scores, not everything, but you know, Josh got the buckle in the Yukon for guiding that sheep, you know, type of thing for the biggest ram guided and, and stuff like that, which is like so cool for him, right? Because, you know, it's a, uh, it's a feather in his cap as a guide. So a bit of a long winded story. What did he score? Uh, he ended up, I got to hear 163 and six eights. Um, yeah. So, you know, he's 39 inches with 14 and a half inch bases. And I think his second measurement is like 12 and a half inches. His third's 10 and a half. Like he just, 
he carries a ton of weight and, and he's one of those rams that like you know he he swoops way back and way low right and um mm. so he, he is a little bit deceiving like to think a ram would be 39 inches and barely make it up to the eye uh you know he, he's just different so but uh there was another ram in that band that you know would be close to 40 inches too but he just didn't have the weight and the age so um it was a no-brainer. I, I took one look at him, and Josh said both those rams are really good. That's the older one. And I said I just want the older one, you know. And, and his weight was just unbelievable. He was a man amongst boys in that band, and, and but uh, for me to think that he would he would do that well on the measuring tape, I had no idea. You know, you think like a forty-inch ram comes way up past the bridge of the nose generally. You know, in my I'm kind of an amateur at all the field judging really, but uh, I was in disbelief when when we put the measuring tape on him. So, um, it, That's awesome, it was really neat. So cool. Yeah. And, it, and you know, like we were there on the 10th, 11th day too, for it to happen in the last hour. Like it was pretty nerve wracking on that last day. Cause I'm thinking like, am I going home without one? Like, which is a reality, you know, like that's a reality mm -hmm. sheep hunting. You, you don't get one every time, but I'm thinking to myself, how many opportunities do I have to do this in my life? You know? And, and mm -hmm. we left it all on the table, which was neat. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Josh, you know, he he made it happen. And he always says, well, you pulled the trigger. And I said, like, well, I wouldn't have been there without you. So it was pretty neat, um, pretty neat to that. And you know, my friend Craig Stoley mounted it up and it's on the wall. And I look at him every day and, you know, it, it was uh, one of the best decisions I've made to go up there and, and get a doll, get a doll sheet because, you know, it's, uh, they're hard to get. So yeah, it was, uh, yeah, absolutely. it was, it was a pretty, um, it was a pretty neat, uh, neat story that, uh, and of course all my friends are rooting for me too, right? They're all excited and, and checking in with a couple of them every day on the inReach and, you know, they knew how hard it was. They've been with me in the mountains and, you know, they were pretty happy too. When, uh, when I get sent them that, that message and they spread the word and it just shows how much my friends and fellow you know, hunters care about, you know, my safety, but also, you know, getting the job done because they knew how important it would be to, to a guy like myself to go up there and, and come back with a Ram, you know, like, uh, but, uh, their success rate there is really good. Like every hunter in camp had a Ram when I came back, you know, some of them did it on day two, some of them did it on day three. And then when we came back, there was still a guy out there, you know, and, and, uh, Mac said like, keep them out there a couple more days to get it done for the guy. So my hat's off to Mac Watson and, and Leona for running a top notch outfit. And, uh, you know, they're, they're just great people who I keep in touch with obviously still. And, and, uh, yeah, they're, they're hardworking outfitters. So, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hesitate to recommend them. Yeah. So for our listeners, that's North Curl. I think you went North Curl, right? They, yeah, were, they got, well, they had, or was it Kusawa? Kusawa and then they have Kusawa Lake outfitters okay. and yeah. also North Curl, right? They, they have the two outfits side by side, but, um, yeah, either one. I mean, uh, Ken Pamplin went with to his North Curl area, and and he got a beautiful ram too. So, and of course, Aaron. I think awesome. Aaron was in the Kusawa Lake area, uh, that part of their outfit too. So, um, yeah, with the three of us went, and and we got we got a beautiful rams, and uh, you know I couldn't have rode it any better. Um, but there was some long uh, some long days in that tent. I think thirty three hours was the one pole about halfway through the through the hunt. And I'm just thinking to myself, I came all the way to the Yukon for this. Right. And then I said, Brent, you, you, you know, better, like this isn't any different than British Columbia. Right. Like it was no walk in the park and, um, and the weather was, was winning and it always does when it wants to. So, 
Uh, there was some, mm-hmm. there was some, uh, there was some lows in that tent, but, uh, you know what, it was, uh, well, the weather smartened up at the end of the hunt and, and, uh, we made a run for that, that band of rams and they ended up staying put all day for us to sneak in on them. So it was uh, one special thing was, was, was Josh pulled out some whiskey he had in a Gatorade bottle that he, that he, he didn't, uh, tell me he had the whole trip. He wasn't into it or anything, but, uh, we, uh, so we had a drink of whiskey right on the side of the mountain there when we walked up to this, uh, this Ram and it was a beautiful sunny day at that point. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty special to have a drink of whiskey with him. And, and, uh, he knew right away that how good this Ram was. He just wasn't letting on, I think. So that was pretty neat. So <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah, it was pretty neat. Well, congratulations. Yeah, Brent. Thank you. Really cool. Yeah, it was, uh, it was neat. I, I awesome. encourage everyone to, to get after things in life because, uh, it's short you know, and, um, you got to take chances and, uh, it, it, even the, just the experience of being in sheep mountains, regardless of the outcome is, is worth the adventure. Right. Uh, so yeah. it's, uh, hopefully we continue to keep doing what we're doing, uh, you know, uh, with wild sheep BC and wild sheep foundation and some of the other organizations to, to raise money and, and awareness and all these things that, that you guys do for, for us really, you know, to continue to have, uh, this sport, you know, and sheep on the mountain. So it's, I don't take it lightly. Awesome, buddy. Okay. So let's, uh, what's, what's the plan for, so I know you said you're going for December, you're going to take off to, you, you got your Spain trip. Um, what's the plan for this fall? I know you usually do the opener, but what's going on with yeah, I didn't go to the opener this year. I wanted to spend some time with my daughter, right. And, and, and my partner, Laura's got two boys too. So they're, uh, they're still, think we're cool enough to hang out with us. So I took the opener off to spend some time with, with the kids this year because they're 16 and soon they won't be wanting to hang out with us. Um, but there's a trade off to this. I can spend more, probably more time in September. So I have a moose draw and, uh, we're going to go hunt sheep and goats, um, in an area that's close to this moose draw too. So if we don't get good weather for the mountains, we can, we can try and get a bowl for the freezer. And, um, and if we do get good weather, we'll, we'll get up into that high country and, and, and go after those special animals that we love so much. So I'm hoping to maybe spend three weeks up there in September and then, uh, and then we'll see what happens with, uh, we put in for antelope in, uh, Montana too. The draw comes out in a, in a week or so. So that would be a really fun hunt and it's something I've never done too. So maybe that'll come to fruition in, uh, in October. So I'm busy, but, uh, but get to relax in the sun in August, which is a weird feeling that I'm not getting geared up to go like probably tomorrow normally we would go up north but uh that's okay someone will get good rams and and i'll be able to see them on facebook or whatever and and, and smile and and know that uh that's people's dreams are coming true so i'll live vicariously through them this this week coming up yeah yeah i have to wait till september go do it yourself i guess then. so yeah you never yeah, know right awesome, maybe something special will happen in september with us you just never know right that's the the lure of it all so yeah. um Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, I got a bu- I got a busy fall. I can't complain that I'm not going in August. Um, but yeah, uh, but like you say, it's an adventure. So awesome, man. Well, hey, I just want to thank you for all your support. You know um, that you know Steve and I talk about this all the time about Wild Sheep BC. We have phenomenal members. It's incredible the support that we get from guys like yourself and. And, uh, you know, we see it most when we get together at convention and these different shows. And I just can't wait for, um, and for anyone listening, we, we have confirmed our, our show now. We'll be back in Kamloops in March for a convention AGM. 
So, um, you know, obviously we're going to see you down in Reno, probably, I'm sure you're going to Sheep Week, right? Yeah, yeah I'll be there. Yeah, it's a good time, of course. Yeah, awesome. Um, right yeah, on. no, I just, yeah. thanks for inviting me on this. You know, I'm just a, I'm not a really heavy hitter in the world of hunting. I look on the list of the people, I guess you guys have had, and, and there's some heavy hitters that you guys have, uh, and special people in, in the world of hunting that you guys have invited. So for me to be invited on here, I'm, I'm just humbled and, and hopefully my story, uh, made sense and, uh, Hopefully some of it was true. Uh, well, no one will really know, I guess. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I appreciate the invite and 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 your guys' time and, and what you guys do is is what it's all about for for the things that we believe in and we're so passionate. So yeah, once again, thanks for having me. No, it's awesome, man, and and you're such a humble guy, and I always I just love hanging out with you because uh, you've done a shitload of hunting, you've been very successful, and uh, you know you talk to you, you never know it. So I love getting on here, and and you know this is a good message for our listeners um, about about the mountain experience, right? You know, it's not about going out and you know just killing the first sheep you see. It's about the experience, and and you live that, and and you guys, and and I know your cohort. I, I talked to you know the other firefighters that. I know through, you know, Wild Sheep BC and, you know, you guys are all kind of come from that same cloth. You know, you're out there. It's the experience. It's about getting your buddy a ram. Mm-hmm. It's about having a good time. Um, it's not about pulling the trigger, right? Yeah. I mean, like. It's pretty cool, buddy. Appreciate you're it. You're welcome. Like there's hunter's luck involved too. Like you could hike for 10 days and, and find this most unbelievable ram that scores really good. Or you could hike for 10 days and, and, and just see sheep that aren't even legal. Like, so just keep that in mind for these young sheep hunters that like, you still have to be at the right place in the right time and have that hunter's luck. But if you, if you continue to grind it out, that luck will turn and, and you'll be at the right place at the right time. And, and, and those dreams will come true. So, um, and, and enjoy the moment, uh, and the journey when you don't have a sheep, because I didn't enjoy those first, well, that first trip, I guess it wasn't that long, but I didn't enjoy it as much as I should have because I was putting too much pressure on myself. So, so it'll happen. Uh, and just, and just enjoy that journey because that's the, what you think about when you look at that, that ram on the wall or you're having, you know, back straps with your friends over on the barbecue, you, you think about the journey. So, so that's my two cents anyway, guys, but yeah, thanks again for having me. Yeah. Well said. Uh, per- patience is definitely a virtue when it comes to sheep. Absolutely. Hunting, yeah. Sure. So uh, appreciate it, Brent. Well, um, yeah, look forward to hearing about your fall and maybe we'll have you back on after your, uh, well, maybe you'll, you'll kill a world record yeah, stone yeah. sheep this yeah, fall never in know. September in a 65-inch moose. <laughs> you so, just never uh, know. <laughs> appreciate it. Okay, thanks, guys. Have a good day. Appreciate it. Bye now.